It is a blessing to be able to be with you today, just to be able to share about God's goodness and his faithfulness to us. And surely he is faithful, and surely he has been very good to us. Uh, My expectation is just as he has been faithful for all these years, he will continue to be faithful and to provide for us. I do want to remind you that we do have this event coming up next Saturday and Sunday, and it is a great opportunity for us uh, to, to... really be practical in how we live our lives. You can tell a lot about an individual by where they spend their money and what they spend their money on. And honestly, I think at times the way we have handled our finances has been a poor reflection of the Christian life. We need to make sure that we are good stewards with what God's blessed us with. And our goal is simply to equip us so that we can even represent Christ well in the way we handle our finances. So I encourage you to come, be a part of it if you would. Some of you also participated with the Trunk or Treat event and just wanted to give you a word of praise. Uh, There were 800 tracts that were given out on Wednesday night uh, to the children in our community. There were about 1,500 people that came here to the church to participate, and it was such a blessing to see the body of Christ working the way it's supposed to work. One of the things that I love, and it may seem really simple, and I'm probably preaching to the choir here because You guys are all a part of this, and I know you're on board with this, but I loved seeing another church here on our property participating with us so that we had the opportunity to show the community that we are not all independent churches that have no connection to the body of Christ outside of here. It was such a blessing to be able to work alongside other churches and community organizations as well, but I wanted to thank you as a church for being a part of that and helping to make that happen, so we are very grateful. Now, there is a television commercial Uh, that is out right now, and I don't even know what they're promoting. I think it has something to do with uh, a car or something of that nature. But when I watched this commercial, the very first thought that went through my mind was, that would be a great sermon illustration. It has a guy warning people never to fly first class, because if you do, it will ruin coach class for you for the rest of your life. And then there's a guy who he's laying on a king-size bed. He says, never sleep in a king-size bed, because if you do, it will ruin sleeping in a queen-size bed for the rest of your life. There are several other things that are mentioned there, but I think you understand the point The idea is that the moment you experience these quote-unquote better things, you'll no longer be satisfied with the things that were once good enough in your life. The story is told of a pilot who flew the same route every day for years. And every day as he reached a certain spot, he would pause and just stare at a particular spot on the ground. One day, his co-pilot asked him what was so special about that particular place. The pilot replied, do you see that creek down there? When I was a boy, every day I would sit alongside that creek fishing and playing. When the planes would fly overhead, I thought to myself, I wish I could fly up there. Now, every day as I fly up here, I look down thinking, I wish I could sit down there. Never content. 
what is the thing that would bring you contentment in your life? Today I'm going to begin a new series that is focused on the search for happiness. I was talking with Lee this week. He's preparing a series where he's going to be teaching the youth specifically about relationships. And he was asking one of the questions about what is some of the bad advice that you received when you were growing up about dating? One of the things that I think all of us probably heard at some point, as foolish as this may be, was just make sure it's someone who makes you happy. It is this search for happiness that the world has looked for for so long. But happiness, happiness is something that is fleeting at times. Partially, this series is driven by preparation for Thanksgiving. We gather around our tables at Thanksgiving and we celebrate the good things that we are thankful for. There are obviously things that they've made us happy. For some of us, we found happiness in people. Maybe it's a relationship with someone who loves us also. Maybe it's someone who has been a great example to us. Or maybe it's someone that we've been able to help out over the past year. Maybe it was someone who's sick and now they are healthy. Maybe it's someone whose relationship was broken, but now it has been restored. For others, we find happiness in our things. We got a new car, or we got a bigger house, or maybe we got a new job, or maybe that pay raise that we've been looking for. Or maybe it's a goal that you've been wanting to accomplish, and somehow you've been able to reach that goal. Whatever it is, you now look, and you are thankful that you feel fulfilled. Let me just say that we should be thankful for these things. There is no doubt that everything we have is truly a blessing from God, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a thing or an accomplishment, God is the one who makes all of that possible in our lives, and we must never take those things for granted. But I also caution you to realize that while these things do bring thankfulness, they will never bring lasting satisfaction in your life or mine. There's a passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6. I read a portion of it to you earlier that addresses this issue of contentment and satisfaction. I ask you if you would to turn your Bibles there so that we can read it together. This is the Apostle Paul that is speaking as he is instructing Timothy regarding the important messages that Timothy should be sharing with his church. These were not random lessons. It's not as if Paul's just kind of sitting there thinking, well, I wonder what I can tell Timothy. That's not what this is about. Paul recognizes that these are needs within the local church in his time, during the New Testament church. They were things that people tended to struggle with. And I would say that these lessons are also things that we tend to struggle with. Look at it with me, beginning in verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, 
I'm going to tell you going into this, obviously this passage is going to deal with money. But I want you to understand that in our search for happiness, we have searched for many, many different things and found nothing but disappointment in those things. There are four truths in this passage regarding contentment that I want you to catch today. Maybe you've already figured all of this stuff out, but my guess is that some have not. Still others probably have figured it out intellectually, but they act like they have no clue what we're talking about here. So let's look at these for a moment. The first one is obviously found in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now I want you to note that you can have contentment without godliness, but true godliness will always lead to contentment. Do you understand the difference there? You can achieve contentment and not necessarily have God in your life. There are very wealthy people that seem to have everything that they would ever want, yet there are also those who have nothing. Yet somehow they seem to be content as well. The question is, where does that contentment come from? It comes from a relationship with God. Think about this for a moment. Some of the most ungodly people in the world seem to be very content. Perhaps it's because of all those things that we give thanks for. Perhaps it's because it seems that everything that they planned has worked out exactly as they have planned. But if those things determine our contentment, we will eventually find that even those things will not be enough. We'll be like that boy who wanted to fly in planes, yet after achieving that goal, only wanted to go and sit by this creek where he first dreamed. Did you ever dream of achieving something only to achieve it and find disappointment? The grass wasn't really greener on the other side, or maybe it was good for a time, but you know the time came where the honeymoon ended. The relationship wasn't what it once seemed, or the luster or the shine of the things you wanted no longer seemed to satisfy you. What if you could find something that would satisfy you for more than just a little while? What if that something else could even help you to see the other things in your life in a different way, bringing lasting contentment even in those things? Clearly what I'm talking about is godliness. Know that true contentment will flow out of godliness. Proverbs 3, 5 tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Now my assumption is that we're all on the same page with this and we must Trust in the Lord. Certainly a part of us, part of this is choosing to follow Christ. It is putting our trust in Him, but I would suggest to you that it goes beyond that. Trusting in the Lord is about us coming before God and committing to do things His way. Lord, if you choose to take me this way, I trust you. Lord, if you choose to take me this way, I trust you. Lord, if you choose to give me this thing, I trust you. If you choose not to give me this thing, I trust you. The idea is that, God, you're in control and I'll do whatever and I'll go wherever. I will be whomever you want me to be. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Perhaps the greatest example of this is found in the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 4, 11 through 13, a passage I've read a couple times over the last several weeks, we find Paul sitting in a prison cell. Now, I want you to think before I read this to you, think of the dreams Paul had when he was a kid. Think of the plans he had for his life. He was going to be someone who could change the world. He was going to be blessed. He was going to have all of these great things that he had seen other people have. Yet Paul would sacrifice all of those things for the purpose of simply walking in obedience to God. And this is what he says. In that prison cell, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You see, it's easy for us to say we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And we'll be content with whatever he provides, especially when he provides good in our lives. But what about when he doesn't? Will you still trust in the Lord when it seems like everything else is falling apart around you? When you're suffering, when none of your plans are working out? Please pay attention to this. True godliness is not dependent upon your circumstance. Instead, true godliness is revealed in how you handle your circumstance. Do you understand that? True godliness is not dependent upon your circumstance. You can't decide, I'm going to be godly today because my circumstance is good. Because you know what? Tomorrow might not be that good. True godliness is not determined by your circumstance. Instead, it is revealed by how you handle that circumstance. Over the last 24 hours, I've talked with individuals who are dealing with the death of a young daughter. I have a funeral today for a 33-year-old young lady. Ridiculous. That family is grieving today. They hurt Talked with another family whose son was in the emergency room for a very serious injury. Another who is fighting for custody of their child. And another who has an unknown physical illness. It may be serious, but it may not be. Know that your godliness will not be determined by your circumstance. You see, those individuals... Those individuals can still walk in incredible grace and peace in spite of what they face today. And the same thing is true for you. Your circumstances do not determine whether you walk in godliness, but in the midst of it, it will reveal whether you walk in godliness. You want to know satisfaction and contentment? Begin by making sure that you are truly walking in the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, our passage goes on to talk about the fact that our world is very fragile and fleeting. 
Paul is still addressing this issue of contentment as he points to the temporary nature of things. We work so hard to achieve various things in our lives. We want to gain more things for ourselves, yet as Paul points out, we can't take those things with us. They're temporary. When I die, I will stand before the Lord and my wealth will already be behind me. My house, my truck, even my friends, they will be behind me. I've often heard that you can't take it with you. And then I saw a picture uh, of a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Maybe I was wrong. Actually, I wasn't. All of those things that we seek to obtain, there will come a day when we will die, and when we die, we cannot take it with us, but rather, at that point, we will stand before the Lord, and it will be irrelevant as to how much I had, how much time I put into my work. I'm not telling you you shouldn't work hard, and I'm not telling you you shouldn't try to to be responsible as human beings today. We ought to be working and giving our best to everything, working as if unto the Lord. But just know that when you die, you can't take any of it with you. It's all going to stay here. In fact, probably by the time we hit the grave, there's someone else already thinking. Actually, I was, we were joking with my mom earlier uh, today about a uh, uh, estate planning and you know we want to get things settled so that when she dies me and my brother and sister don't have to fight about it well truth is we're not going to fight over anything but you know that happens quite often we work so hard to be able to have all these things and then we die and what do we leave behind the unfortunate reality is that you cannot take any of this stuff with you 2 Corinthians 4.18 says that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Please don't seek satisfaction in the temporary. Because eventually, even the temporary will be gone. Seek it in what is eternal. And what is it that will last for all eternity? Only that which is done for Christ will last. Well, our passage then talks about those who seek after the temporary instead of the eternal. Now, we're already talking about temporary versus eternal. It talks about those who are seeking riches and what it will lead to. It leads, first of all, to temptation and potentially to ruin. I remember thinking years ago that if only I had enough money, then I wouldn't have any problems anymore. And I was, I was really wrong. I hate to say that. I was wrong. Problems may change, but they don't go away. Humorously, this is illustrated through something that my cousin recently said on Facebook. As many of you know, someone from South Carolina recently won one of the big lottery things, uh, lottery prizes, not knowing who it was yet because the prize had not necessarily been awarded. My cousin posted the following statement. It was intended for humor, but it illustrates this point very well. He said, I'm not sure who will win the lottery tonight, but whoever it is touched me inappropriately 30 years ago. The drawing hadn't even taken place, but the point was that the moment somebody wins, they will immediately have other problems that will appear. 
The moment that this takes place, other individuals will be clawing at what they have, and they will try to get their share of it. Man, I'll tell you what, whoever wins, they probably have some problems that seem to go away, but it doesn't mean that all of their problems leave. In fact, often all you're doing is trading one set of problems for another. Proverbs 11.28 says, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Know that your pursuit of riches can be a very dangerous path, but the pursuit of Christ is what can bring true fulfillment in you. The greatest company in the world, that's how CEOs Jeffrey Skilling and Kenneth Lay described their company. The name of the company was Enron. The two were always hungry for more, and when energy and gas weren't enough, they took on more, adding coal and insurance to their company's repertoire. They took on riskier deals, and they purchased new companies, and in December of 2001, Enron went bankrupt. In the course of uncovering their bankruptcy, a huge betrayal came to light. For years, Enron had cooked their books. They were stealing. They were lying. Their investors would lose billions. Their 20,000 employees would all lose their jobs. Kenneth Lay would die during the trials against him. And Skilling is still sitting in a prison today for his crimes. The two acted recklessly and acted as though their injustices might never be uncovered. You know, the, the thing is, they were already wealthy. They were already successful. There was this idea that there might be more out there, and I'll do whatever it takes to get that more out there, even if it led to compromise that would eventually lead to destruction for them. By the way, it wasn't just them. There were those many others who would have to deal with the consequences of these individuals' choices. The one thing I will tell you is when you begin to pursue Christ with everything that you have, it will not lead to destruction. All of this stuff, all the things that we go seeking after, thinking that somehow it will satisfy us, that we will find contentment, there will come a time where it's not going to be enough. And we're going to look back and we're going to think, wow, why did I do these things? My guess is as Skilling sits in a prison cell today, he has probably asked that question over and over again. Why couldn't I have just been satisfied? Because the money that he found satisfaction in could never be enough. Only Christ can truly satisfy us, and it will not lead to destruction when we seek him out. There's one last thing that I have for you from this passage today, and it's about the love of money as you know, it is the root of all kinds of evil, but it is also something that leads to many griefs, according to our passage. There are a couple of aspects of this. The first fits perfectly with James chapter 5, verse 1. It calls on the rich to weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon them. It is a reference to the idea that you have been blessed in this life, yet that blessing will eventually be gone. You lived in prosperity and pride in this life, yet you will suffer in eternity. All the money that you have will not buy your salvation, but rather without Christ. When you die, you will 
face a great deal of suffering. Remember, Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He was not saying that a rich man could not enter it, but it's simply a realization that sometimes we can become blinded by our wealth and resources to the point that we do not even realize how much we need God. So there is the long-term aspect of it. But there's another side of this. Did you know that statistically speaking, a little more than 20% of the American population is considered clinically depressed? Now, I personally believe that percentage is too low. Unfortunately, I look around and I see many individuals who are dealing with a type of clinical depression. But those are the numbers that the experts throw out there. Did you know that among the wealthy, that figure is more than double? Did you catch that? So if 20% of the population is dealing with depression, give an individual a bunch of money, there is a 40% chance that they now will struggle with depression, clinical depression. I don't know, maybe it's because they've got more money so they could actually be diagnosed. Or maybe it's simply because they have found that all that they have is not enough to truly satisfy them. We need to recognize that contentment is not found in our things. It is not found even in relationships that we have with other people. It is not found in our accomplishments. It is only found in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have all kinds of good things that you'll be thankful for, but true contentment flows out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. All of the other things that you have, and I celebrate with you, and I hope that you are grateful for what you have. But if you do not have Christ, you, you have nothing. Eventually it will be gone, and you will wake up and realize it and not be able to turn back on it. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, our first and greatest desire is that we would become a people that would honor you. Lord, I pray for each individual who is here today that we would not find contentment in other things. Lord, I thank you for the good things that we have. I thank you for the financial resources you've blessed each of us with. I thank you for the relationships you've blessed us with. I thank you for the accomplishments that we can look back on and see the good things that are happening. Lord, we know that if, if you are not in your rightful place in our lives, eventually all those things will disappoint. So I pray right now that you would help us to truly find contentment and satisfaction in you and you alone. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people that would truly reflect your presence, your godliness in us. The circumstances we face today, some of them are really good, and it's easy for us to reflect your presence in our lives today. But I pray that tomorrow, when maybe something isn't as good, that we would still reflect your presence in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to simply live like people where you truly are the Lord of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would be honored in us now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, some of you are thinking, wow, we're getting out early today. Actually, no.
Uh, one of the things we try to do here at least once a month is to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper, uh, something that Jesus did with his disciples. And as Jesus met with his disciples, the last night that he was with them, the, the night that he would be arrested, uh, and then, of course, there was the whole crucifixion story that would take place beyond that. The last night as Jesus met with his disciples, he shared with them about things that were going to take place. Part of this was in preparation for them. You see, in many ways, they had left everything that they knew. There were still some family members that were around. We know that because James and John's mother at one point is advocating for, for their position uh, with Jesus. So they had some family that was still there. But these were people, they had left their jobs. They left all of their stability for the sake of following Jesus. Because here, Jesus has offered them, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And these guys say, okay, let's go. They had sacrificed a lot. But each of them also had dreams about what would take place. They thought for sure Jesus was going to come and he was going to overthrow the Romans, that Jesus would be the one who would set everything right. And for sure, Jesus would set everything right, but it wouldn't necessarily look the way they anticipated. Their anticipation was that he would somehow rise up and he would show himself to be the king and overpower them in that moment. But Jesus had a completely different plan in place. Jesus would humble himself, allowing his body to be broken and his blood to be shed to not only overthrow the Romans, but to overthrow sin and death. You see, Jesus Christ still was going to make everything right, but in a completely different way. As he met with his disciples, he shared with them about the brokenness that was about to take place. He told them that these things must happen, and these things, if they do not happen, basically it can't be fulfilled. As Jesus met with his disciples, he took bread, and he said, this represents my body that is broken for you. He said, every time you eat this, I want you to remember what I did for you. He took the wine, he said, this represents my blood that was shed for you. And every time you drink this, I want you to remember that I shed my blood just for you. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. That had been the law all the way back in the Old Testament. Without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption. Jesus is making clear to them that I'm about to pave the way for you. Now, the thing is, they are still heartbroken a couple days later when Jesus is crucified and the resurrection has not taken place. I picture that Saturday morning, these guys, they're so crushed over this thing that has happened. Jesus was crucified. I don't know what I'm going to do now. I left all my work. I left everything so that I could follow after him. Now what do I do? I mean, they are devastated by it. They didn't get what Jesus was talking about. We have the benefit of hindsight. Because we know what happened on Sunday. See, the story wasn't over. Jesus did allow his body to be broken and his blood to be shed. But the story didn't end there. Actually, Sunday morning, the resurrection takes place. And suddenly it begins to click. They begin to remember the things that Jesus had told them about. About the temple being destroyed and three days later being raised again, realizing that Jesus was that temple. His body was destroyed, but three days later it was raised back up again. 
as we look back at that particular event, that is the event that changed all of humanity. It changed everything for us. It is the hope that we now have because just as Jesus conquered sin on the cross and conquered death in the grave as he rose again, he has promised us that first of all, sin has been conquered in our lives as well. When you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What an incredible promise to us. That is only made possible because of the blood that was shed. And when we die... We don't have to worry about what's next because Jesus has already conquered death too. In just a moment, we're going to participate in a celebration of the Lord's Supper. Uh, we are going to participate in a, a time of reflection, uh, personal reflection. We're going to do it a little bit different than what I normally have done with you. We're going to take a few moments here beforehand. I'm going to give you the opportunity just between you and the Lord, and we're going to have a time of silent prayer, I guess. And I'm going to ask you as a church to simply take a moment and reflect on what God has done through his sacrificial act. I'm not talking about for all of creation. I'm talking about for you. What did his sacrifice mean to you? Consider the forgiveness that God brought to your life. What did he take you from? And where is he taking you now? Maybe there's something you need to confess before him. Now would be a great time to do it. Come before the Lord and say, God, I am so sorry for where I have allowed sin to exist in my life. And I ask you now to forgive me. I found satisfaction in these things, in these things, in these people. But I want to find my satisfaction in you and you alone. It's a great time to come before him. And simply say, Lord, make me yours completely. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow your heads and just have a time of silent prayer right now. Father, I come before you confessing that I am an imperfect individual and I do not deserve the right to partake in these elements except for your grace. Each of us comes before you with different backgrounds, some of us carrying incredible baggage. Maybe there's hurt and there's pain that we bring to the table today. Maybe there are regrets where we have caused hurt and pain. We ask that in this moment, this would be an opportunity for us to almost start over again. I know that I'm already a child of God. But I pray right now that you would renew within me a hunger for you above all else. Where I have fallen short, I ask for your forgiveness and your grace. I pray that from this moment forward that I would walk in celebration 
of the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. Not just here in this service, not just when we partake of communion or the Lord's Supper, but I pray that every moment moving forward, that I would walk in a way that honors what you've done for me. Lord, I pray for each individual who's in this room that they too will be able to pray that prayer. May we find satisfaction and contentment in nothing but you. Well, we know that these elements that we're about to partake in, they're just common, ordinary elements. But I pray that in this moment, that we would see them as representing something far greater. But I pray that this would be a sacred moment for us as we simply draw near to you, as we celebrate your death, not in a morbid, depressing kind of way, but in a way that allows us to realize this changes everything. Thank you for giving your son. Thank you for shedding his blood on our behalf. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask uh, my wife if she would come, and she is going to help me serve this morning, and um, we're going to just serve right here in the middle, and I'm not going to tell you when your row or whatever should come forward, uh, but I'm going to ask if everyone would just come on and uh, as you get up here, receive the elements, wait until everyone has received them, and then we'll all partake together. So if you would, take it back to your pew. Allow this time before, since there's only two of us up here serving, allow this to be a time for you to, while you're waiting, to simply reflect on God's grace, on his love for you. After you've received those elements and you're waiting for everybody else to get it, start over again. Continue to reflect on God's grace and his blessing to you. And then once everyone has received it, we will all partake of it together. We invite you to come at this time to receive the elements of communion. As Jesus met with his disciples, he shared with them about the things that would take place. And although they did not fully understand, they acted in obedience. And he talked to them about the brokenness that would come. That brokenness would pave the way for all of us, for all eternity, to have eternal life through the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, I know there is a decision that is required upon each of us that we must choose to surrender our lives to him. But he has paved the way. And today we rejoice over that. We celebrate that. As Jesus met with them, he took the bread and he said, This represents my body that is broken for you. Every time you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. He then took the wine, and before you're disappointed, this is actually grape juice, uh, but he took the wine and he said, this represents my blood that is shed for you. And without the shedding of my blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It's every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray once more. Father, we come before you, grateful for your sacrifice, grateful for your love. We can never say thank you enough. So help us to live in appreciation for what you have done. May you be honored as we truly are transformed into your image. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
I just want to remind you, and I've said this before, but I don't believe that this act of the Last Supper was intended just for a church service. I don't think he meant whenever the church decides to hold a special service once a week or once a month to participate in communion, that's when you remember. Every time you eat this, every time they gathered for a meal, it was an opportunity to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We must do the same. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.